Howdy. This is a special episode, a mini-sode, if you will, of Battleship Retention. This is our WonderCon so far wrap-up. Um, Tyler and I are here in Anaheim, and uh, Tyler was here on Friday. I was just here today, Saturday. Uh, so I will first introduce Tyler. Hello. And then uh, I will let him tell you what he saw on Friday. Okay. Do I just... Just... Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I got here relatively late due to insane traffic and not being able to leave quite when I wanted to. Uh, so I got here really just in time to uh, go to one panel that, uh, that I wanted to go, uh, that I wanted to attend. Uh, thankfully, though, it was the one that I really was interested in, which was um, called Not Guilty by Reason of Zombification. And it explores the uh, legal ramifications of a zombie apocalypse uh, based on the idea that assuming that the apocalypse... It, it, like ends and uh, the government order is restored and that uh, you know people will be held accountable for their actions during uh, said apocalypse because if a government is trying to reassert its authority then it will it, it has to do that because to do so to not do so is to say eh, there are only rules when we're around um, and so uh, so it talked about like uh you know, the different types of zombies, depending on the movie, uh, dead zombies or, you know, people just with a virus and that like, if somebody is dead, then you can kill them. I mean, you can shoot them and you're not going to be, and you'll be fine. However, if you like at the end of uh, night of the living dead, uh, where they string up the, the zombies and they're wiggling around and stuff, it's like, or if they unnecessarily mutilate a corpse, like there are laws against that. Um, and then, as opposed to like 28 days later where the zombies are just people that are infected in which case uh, obviously you have to uh, uh, defend yourself but when it comes to like chaining up zombies and stuff in that instance it's like no the basic uh, rules for the basic laws for how you deal with like mental illness apply and so uh, it was there were three lawyers on the panel and two forensic psychiatrists and uh, then they had a mock trial in which, uh, in which they gave the specifics of, a, of the case, uh, in which this guy killed his business partner as, as he was a zombie, and he was shown to be a zombie, but then he was injected with the cure, and now he's on trial because he's now been seen, seen fit to stand trial, but he's saying not guilty by reason of insanity. He's not saying I didn't kill him. He's saying I did, but I was a zombie at the time. And they said, yes, he was a zombie, but... Uh, how deep into it was he? Did he truly not know what he was doing? And so they they brought in like witnesses and that kind of thing. And then they asked we the uh, audience as the jury, you know, raise your hand if you vote guilty. Raise your hand if you vote not guilty. And I voted guilty. Oh. Uh, because the specifics were such that uh, he was starting to show signs, and they injected him. The cops and the cops and paramedics injected him with the cure. And if they injected him with the cure so soon after, then he had to know there was a cure. And that means who's to say that he did not purposefully allow himself to become a zombie, timed it out just right so that he killed his business partner and got and thus got a lot of money. And but then is found not guilty by reason of insanity. 
you know? Yeah. And so, like, manipulating... So, I, I was like, I don't trust this guy one bit. Get him out of there. And so, uh, so I, it sounds really cheesy, but it, frankly, if there are more panels like this, I would I would try to go to more of them. Yeah, um, it sounds like a lot of fun. It was great. I really loved it. So, that's... And then I... I uh, Went to dinner with uh, our writer, Kyle Anderson, and then I went to Denny's with a couple of uh, listeners of both Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson, and that was a lot of fun. Two dinners. So. Oh, sorry. Dinner with Kyle. Denny's. You didn't eat, you didn't eat at dinner? No, I had coffee. Okay. So, uh, and I, hang, I hung out with them for a couple hours, came home, uh, which is to say came to the hotel, and slept for longer than I was supposed to, and... Uh, I missed out on some things that I would have liked to go to, but you, yeah. you were here by then. Sounds like a transition here. Because, um, <laughs> yes, I um, got here. I also dealt with uh, traffic, not traffic on the freeway, traffic once off the freeway. I spent probably as long getting from the freeway to parking at the convention center as I did getting from home to Anaheim. It was a, it was a, a long drive this morning. But I did get in time to register and, and just barely get in in time for the uh, Warner Brothers slash Legendary Pictures panel, which consisted of two things. The first being James Wan's, uh, that's the guy who wrote Saw and directed Insidious and, and some other stuff. His new horror film is called The Conjuring and um, I don't want to be mean obviously I haven't seen the film when we're talking about these sort of conventions we we can judge only by what they show us but based on what um, they've shown us I think the the movie looks to be about as forgettable as the title Tyler do you remember what the title is at this point? Uh, The Conjecture? (laughs) something like that Um, and it stars Lily Taylor which is a good sign but lest we forget Jan Devon's The Haunting also starred Lily Taylor, and that was not a good movie. Um, and so they showed a couple of, of, of scenes um, that were uh, just pretty standard, sort of like long, eerie silence ended by either a loud noise or a sudden movement or something yeah. to make you jump. Um, it wasn't... It didn't do much for me. And then the panel itself, I have my own... I don't know what the word is... Uh, prejudices, maybe, but the panel itself was James Wan, and then they brought out three women, two who were the young girls, and one who was the ghost hunter that the real story, quote-unquote real story, of The Conjuring was based on. And since I have no tolerance for that kind of... Just a hokum. It, it, uh, I kind of tuned out. the guy who came out and said, like, is anybody not feeling well? Here's a whole bunch of snake oil yeah. for you if you're interested. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, so then um, I, I woke up again when uh, that one was over. I didn't actually fall asleep. But um, the, the second half of the Warner Brothers slash Legendary Pictures panel was, let's be honest, the real reason that everyone was there, which was Guillermo del Toro showing... Um, uh, an exclusive new trailer for Pacific Rim, which is his giant robots fighting giant monsters uh, movie. And um, there's some cool stuff in the, in the trailer. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know what else to say about it. I, I feel like uh, I think I'm getting a bit of Pacific Rim exhaustion because it seems like I've been hearing about it for two years and it still hasn't come out. Um... 
but uh, there was, I, I guess this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but if you were there, you would have seen the footage. There was one really cool thing, which was one of the giant robots, they're called Jaegers, which is the German word for hunter. Oh, okay. Uh, is fighting one of the giant monsters, which are called Kaiju, the Japanese word for giant monster. Hmm. Um, and they're fighting in the middle of a city, and the giant robot is wielding a freighter ship. I'm gonna hope an abandoned empty freighter ship. Yeah. As a sort of a cudgel or a bludgeoning device and hits the kaiju in the face with a boat. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I have to admit that was pretty cool. Okay. The rest of the stuff I, I feel like I'm not maybe the audience for this movie but also it is Guillermo del Toro who has made movies like Hellboy and Blade 2 that I'm not necessarily the audience for that I really really like. Yeah. So I have I have some hope uh, in him because he's Guillermo del Toro, and then uh, the panel, um, well, it was it was just him, and, and he talked a little bit, and then he took questions, and uh, it was one of the better I think partially because of Guillermo del Toro um, being good at this sort of thing. I've seen him at Comic Con's past. Um, it was one of the better convention movie movie convention panels that I've ever attended because he's a very colorful guy. He says fuck a lot. Huh. Um, which I know from past uh, panels. He's got a filthy mouth. Um, but he, he talked about he talked mostly about Pacific Rim. Most of the questions he got were about Pacific Rim um, itself. But then there was also a really interesting question. Someone asked him um, about the fact uh, well, he brought up the idea that um, it's been reported that Del Toro really had to fight with the studio to allow him, allow him to cast Ron Perlman as Hellboy. That was someone he was set on. The studio wanted maybe a more bankable name, um, and and he won that. And someone asked him, like, can you give aspiring filmmakers or or, or just talk about the idea of um, you know combating a studio? And he gave this answer. Uh, his answer was essentially. You can't use fights with the studio as an excuse for anything when you're a director. You're the director. The buck stops with you. If there's anything wrong with a movie, if there are problems with any of, any of Guillermo del Toro's movies, even Mimic, he included. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I mean, he talked about um, Mimic as being a, maybe his least pleasant movie-making experience. Um, uh, he said, but, but even that, he says the problems are his fault because he's the, he's the director. And I found that kind of refreshing, but I also kind of wonder if... You can only say that if you've been fortunate enough to have Del Toro's career. Yeah. Uh, you know? Uh, I mean, it's, you know, like, if if a director has a movie literally taken away from him and mutilated by the studio, like, there's only so much he can do. Um, yeah, but uh, and that wasn't what he was talking about with, with Mimic. He was basically talking about how he wanted to make one movie and the studio wanted okay. it to be a different movie from the beginning, and, and it was a contentious experience. Whereas apparently he had a lot, a, a whole lot of freedom with Pacific Rim. Huh. So it, it could uh, uh, could turn out well. Um, and so that was the morning. Then we went and we had, you and I had a, a, a lunch at Bubba Gump's. Or you didn't, uh, you didn't have lunch, but we ate at Bubba Gump's with our friend Ian Brill and our friend Patrick Starr. And uh, Patrick Starr's lovely uh, girlfriend, Rosalind. Um, and then it was time for the Sony panel, which uh, was an hour and a half. It was three different movies. You weren't there for the first one. Yeah, I had forgotten something in my uh, hotel room, and by the time I got there, 
the guy said that it was all full up, although apparently it wasn't. Yeah, from my point of view, it was not. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, all the good seats were gone, but there were empty seats. Yeah, and then, but then... Uh, then I guess they started letting people in again. Like you texted me and said, "There, a lot of people are leaving, so you should come." And so I did, and they let me in, and everything was fine. So I, I was there for the last half. Good. Were you there for the last two? Although well, part of you missed part of the second. Yeah, I missed thing. some footage. Um, but I'll talk about the first thing first. The thing that I was, the thing that people left after um, was a thing that I'm not aware of. Apparently, there's a series of books called The Mortal Instruments, and they're making a movie of the first book. It's called The Mortal Instruments: City of Bones. And it stars Lily Collins, who was uh, Snow White in Mirror, Mirror. Um, and again, I don't know anything about it. It seems, it seems to me the story is that there are a bunch of... There's an ongoing war among demons that we're unaware of because we can't see demons. And Lily Collins plays... I guess she's supposed to be a teenager who realizes suddenly that she can see demons. And it turns out it's because her mother was a demon hunter. Yeager. Yeah, yeah, a demon Jaeger. Um, although I think they're called shadow hunters, maybe, in this. I can't remember. Schottenjaegers? <laughs> I don't think Schotten is German for shadow. Is I, it? According to Gabriel Knight's Sins of the Fathers, that oh, game I played, there you go. he was a Schottenjaeger, which was shadow hunter. Oh, there you go. He was a Schottenjaeger. Okay, then that's what she is. And it turns out, I guess that's a genetic thing, because now Lily Collins is a shadow hunter as well. So it's, I guess, about her... It's... It, it seemed kind of Buffy-like to me, which is a, is promising, but the footage they showed didn't seem to distinguish itself from any of the other thousands of post-Twilight, you know, uh, young adult supernatural series turned, book series turned into, into movies. Um, I don't know. I don't want to rag on the thing. It could, I, I know literally nothing about it other than what I saw in this panel today. So... Uh, that's it. Okay, but it has a lot of fans, most of them uh, young females, um, and those are the people who filed out afterwards because, oh, you weren't there for this. Literally, as soon as the shadow, the uh, I almost said shadow hunters, as soon as the Mortal Instruments panel ended, they started making. I feel like there were like ten warnings total about what was coming up next, okay. and that you know if you have young children or if you're squeamish, you should not. Uh, you should go ahead and leave because the next uh, panel, the next two panels are R-rated, but the first one in particular is very gory, and that is, of course, the Evil Dead remake. Um, so you missed the footage, um, which they, they showed. Um, they showed a trailer which had, uh, if you've seen the Red Band trailer online, it was pretty similar, including. Um, if you've seen the Red Band trailer online, then you, there's an image burned into your brain. Um, and this was in this trailer as well, which is a, a, a woman um, cutting her tongue in half. Oh. Uh, yeah, and that was in there. And then uh, they showed another uh, extended scene, which included a different woman slicing her face off. And then uh, there was a fight in which a piece of, a huge chunk of uh, porcelain broke off a toilet, and someone was, I guess, brained with the porcelain chunk. It was some pretty grody stuff, and as they, they and then the director and cast made sure to point out that that all happens pretty early on in the movie. Like it, it goes on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it does look pretty gross if that's what you're into. And uh, now here's where you came in. They yeah. they talked a lot about, and this does. Um, bode well, I think, or at least speaks to my personal taste. They talk a lot about how there's no CGI in the movie. Yeah. Everything, all the gore, 
was done practically. Yeah. Uh, and that is that is of interest to me at least. Do you agree? Yeah, it, it always is. Um, I mean, they're trying to stay... And I feel like anybody who kind of has their reservations about remaking the film, uh, I think at the very least they're showing that they at least have respect for the film and of that whole 80s horror genre by having practical effects uh, because it'd be very easy to do stuff in CG. I think the director even mentions that, that there are some things like, oh, sure, it would be easy if we did it this way. <laughs> but he specifically chose not to, and I think it's it's in homage to that whole thing. But And Sam Raimi is a producer, and Bruce Campbell is a producer. Yeah. And Bruce Campbell was, was on the panel. And, he was a delight. Uh, he, he was. Like, it's such a it's such a rare thing when, like, you know, an actor or a... Yeah, like, an actor specifically that you really like turns out to be everything you wa- you want them to be. Bruce Campbell is that. Yeah, all the like like movie nerds who have been idolizing him for twenty years, they are they're in the right. He's yeah. super cool. Yeah. You can be that's the thing. You get you are like a horror nerd or a movie nerd and you like Bruce Campbell. You can be a person nerd and like uh, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> if you just like people, you'll like him. Uh, and he um, also talked about um, him and Sam Raimi being contacted about uh, remember the specifics was it a comic book series where they wanted Ash to go up against Freddy and Jason yeah and their response was great it'd be awesome for Ash to kill Freddy and Jason they were like oh you can't do that and they hung up the phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, then, and then Bruce Campbell went on to call Freddy and Jason losers yeah uh, and he had a nice a nice moment where because and I assume that that the, the uh, cast and crew were maybe not tired of dealing with this issue the, the idea of the of a remake yeah. Um, but they got asked a few questions about that. And Bruce Campbell was very blunt to the point of seeming, and I don't say this against him, to the point of seeming almost defensive about doing the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, and said, he's like, he goes, you know, I, he goes, because he uh, I remember he went out of his way to elaborate on an answer given previously. And he's like, he goes, I'll say this. Here's what I like about doing this. I like that... We're j- it's we're not we weren't just sitting there in the cold and that there are actors involved who actually had experience. Yeah, yeah. I like that we were able to shoot it all at once and not periodically over four years. I like that it will be released now and people won't find out about it in fifteen years. Like yeah. it's one of those things where it's he wasn't being a jerk. It, it was all very amusing, but it does. It's like you know. I realize that it's almost like you saying, like, I realize that there are people that treasure this thing, and that's fine. But you know what? Like, that that is that that film has cult status, and good for it. But like, we're still we still have control of this movie we're making, and this is kind of the way we wish it could be made. Remind me now, did you see the um, filmed thing by Sam Raimi that they showed? Because he wasn't no, there. I did. Okay, I think it was the introduction of the footage because he actually went one further. Okay, with that. He said, basically, that this Evil Dead that's coming out this summer is the movie he wanted to make originally. Right. And that's the thing, is I think people, they, again... And I'm part of that, obviously, they're saying that for PR reasons, but it is... Yeah. It is... Sam Raimi, as a geek god, is, I think, taking a bit of a risk saying, and that's a sacrilegious statement, to say oh, that yeah. this new thing, this remake, could possibly be better or truer yeah. than the movie that people have been loving for 20 years. And you and I are all in or favor of, of the idea of, you know, uh, art coming, like, really great art coming out of adversity. I was just watching stuff about Jaws, and you hear about the barrels, all, like, great choices right. made because the shark wasn't working. And so, like, so that's all well and good, but like when you hear like the actors involved and the directors saying like, you know, 
I- I'm glad you like some of this stuff, but like, you know, w- we would have preferred actors who could actually act, and we would have preferred, you know, being able to do this all at once. Yeah. Like, uh, we we're glad you like the original film, but it was quite hellish doing it the way we had to do it. We'd prefer to do it this way, and now we can. And I, I feel like they were answering critics uh, yeah, yeah. of like people saying oh, it's just a money grab. It's like nah, maybe they just maybe they just felt like doing this. Uh, and speaking of actors who can act, the um, well, people familiar with Evil Dead will of course know the woman who um, gets possessed and ends up locked in the cellar and peeking up through the floorboards and that sort of thing is played by Jane Levy, who uh, it would be easy to glibly write her off as the poor man's Emma Stone, but um, <laughs> if you've uh, seen her work on um, Suburgatory, the sitcom. She's actually quite a talented and charming actress, and quite funny. And so I'm uh, uh, looking forward, I guess, to seeing her yeah. uh, in the movie. Okay, and then finally, um, the last thing we saw. And I feel like I need to get some water for this yeah. because uh, I have some things to say about it. Uh, the last thing we saw was a panel for This Is The End, which is directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who co-wrote the um, screenplay for Superbad and have worked together on a number of things. And it stars Seth Rogen, James Franco, Danny McBride, Jay Baruchel, Craig Robinson... And many others. And, and many others, all playing themselves. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't. That was that was a key thing I did not know about the film until this panel. Okay, I, 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 had, I had read that... Um, I haven't seen the short that it's that they talked about how they made a short back in 2006 or 2007, which I think you can find online, but I never got around to watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something they've been trying to get made for a long time. And basically, the idea is that all these famous people are having a party at um, James Franco's house, and then the apocalypse happens. Mm-hmm. And um, the footage they showed was, uh, I'd, I'd say, heavily R-rated. Yeah. Um, in terms of language. Although, did you notice the weird, like, bleeping? Like, it didn't make any sense. Like, yeah. sometimes they were, fuck they would were... be bleeped and sometimes it wouldn't. Yeah, it, yeah. sometimes it would be bleeped. And then other times, when char- when characters are screaming it, yeah. no problem. It, yeah, I, I, I didn't understand it. I don't know why that is. Um, I wonder if they had, like, a shorter cut of the footage with stuff bleeped and they added more stuff in and didn't get around to bleeping it. Maybe. I don't know what it is. But even see, like, there's sometimes it was like, Two sentences back to back. One would be believed and one wouldn't. Yeah. That's not the point here. Um, the point here is that most of the stuff they showed had to do with. Uh, and it seems like it all comes from the very beginning of the movie. Because mm-hmm. as they said, like everything we saw took place at James Franco's house. Yeah. Um, except for the the, footage, the trailer they showed included stuff outside of James Franco's house. And it sounds like the movie does expand from that location. And so yeah. maybe it gets beyond this but so much of the stuff they showed of the of the apocalypse happening um was just footage of famous people dying yeah essentially in kind of funny ways I guess some of them were kind of funny yeah Michael Sarah's was funny although also like a bit disturbing to me it was a little disturbing to me as well Here, here's why I'm gonna explain the scene I don't know if this, you care if this is a spoiler or not but um it's right as the uh apocalypse is starting Michael Sarah is very high and drunk and is ranting that someone has stolen his cell phone and then he gets impaled by a falling light pole yeah and then the joke of course he was accusing people of stealing his cell phone just as he's dying his phone rings it turns out it was in his back pocket the whole time yeah and what I I know it's supposed to be funny what I wondered is 
I wonder if that's his mom calling to see if he's okay. <laughs> and the movie didn't seem to have any of those considerations at all. I know it's just a comedy. Yeah. But I think... Uh, and yeah, there's a, a whole lot of famous people die very, apparently very early on. We, yeah. we saw... I don't even know if I can name all of them. Uh, yeah. Aziz Ansari, Kevin Hart, Mindy Kaling, Rihanna... Martin Starr. Martin Starr all die, like, right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and... It just seemed kind of mean-spirited, and also it seemed very childish, which is going to get me to my main point here, which is that it's all these dudes, and the the surviving team, you'll notice the names I listed off, were all dudes. Yeah. Um, It seems just very male, very bro-ish, and very juvenile, which is the kind of thing that Seth Rogen... Oh, Paul Rudd is in the movie. We don't... um, we didn't see him die in the footage, but since he's not part of the main cast, we can I probably assume, he will, assume yes. that, he's, that he dies in the movie. Um, all these people, uh, we, we saw them. Uh, what, what, I mean, what year was Forty Year Old Virgin? Oh four, oh five, oh five. Okay, eight years ago. The better part of a decade ago. Um, and here they are, still being like juvenile, essentially like college type, just bro douches, and it seemed like. I, I guess I'm just tired of it. And you know, the th- and, and I'm actually kind of okay with that just because since they are playing themselves uh, and maybe they're commenting on celebrities, maybe they're commenting on like how vapid these these people really are. And how much they're treated like children. That's something yeah. you said after the, the uh, in your defense of it after the uh, panel, something you said, that maybe it does, hopefully that does come through. Yeah, um, because it sounds like as these... Uh, characters are thrown together they they it sounds like they like a lot of stuff comes out about their relationships and so that that could be interesting but one of the things that gets me you know you mentioned uh, you found michael Sarah's death disturbing and then yeah. you brought up your your objection to it and thought you know it's like well it's like maybe that's a silly thing to think about because it's just a comedy but that's the thing it's a comedy in which people are dying and i feel like if they don't address some of the disturbance of that mm-hmm. even just a little bit then like something will, I feel like something will be in the back of our minds I feel like you need to at least acknowledge that there are stakes going on and not everything needs to be a laugh and it'll make us appreciate the laughs more if you acknowledge that oh these people that we know socially are dead as opposed to merely playing it for just pure laugh all the way through. Yeah. And you know what? They might do that. It's, I mean, I like Superbad, and that's a very funny movie that also has some nice moments. Yeah. Uh, on, uh, it has know, some heart. It has some heart to it. And so, you know, it's 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 WonderCon. They're, they're playing to the crowd. And so, you know, maybe the, the quiet personal moments aren't going to be really focused yeah. on in, in yeah. this. But, but yeah, it, it did seem also just... Again, having not seen the film, it did seem va- vaguely self-indulgent to me to just mm-hmm. cast themselves. I, I wouldn't even say vaguely. Well, <laughs> you never know. Like maybe they, maybe like I said, their reason for casting themselves is like they're examining like the priorities of celebrities when when it all comes right down to it. So mm-hmm. maybe they're doing that. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's what they're going to try to do. But it also could also it could also seem like it's like yes yes the end of the world is happening and everyone's dying but what about us the celebrities <laughs> um, so it could be that yeah. but I, maybe I'm being a little too harsh on them. By the way, we forgot to mention David Crumholtz, another actor yes. we see bite it in the uh, in the yes. footage. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely trepidatious. Um, 
about it. And my other, and I, I already mentioned it, my other main problem with the premise of the movie based on the footage we saw is that, like I said, it's just all dudes again. Yeah. I, I, I just, like, these guys have been around, these are grown people now who have, many of them have wives and kids of their own. Like, they're not in a dorm room. They probably are friends with women. And as they, as we see, like, at the party, there are plenty of women there. They just all no. die, except for Emma Watson, who um, I'm actually... If there's one reason I'm really looking forward to the idea of seeing the film, it's to see Emma Watson. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I like her, and it seems like her part is interesting and funny, but it, she's not one of the main cast members. Yeah. And it's and it's frustrating because, like... And, and here's the thing, is, is maybe they're trying to do a, a combination of, like, super bad and... Ghostbusters and like Twelve Angry Men, where it's like it's there's a lot of testosterone that's that's fueling these guys like arguing with each other. Okay, so fair enough if that if that's what you want to do. Well, that's part fine. of their whole shtick is that it's they're not that masculine, right? I mean, an extended scene we saw was them arguing over a Milky Way. Yeah, which actually I, I chuckled quite a bit at that. <laughs> but um, and that's the thing. Even if I wind up not liking the movie, I get the feeling I'll still laugh. At a fair chunk of it, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like yeah, they've got Mindy Kaling there. They could easily have gotten an Emma Stone in there, and yeah. like genuinely funny women that can uh, that can improvise. Anna Ferris would have oh. been awesome. Well, I think she should be in everything. Yeah, yeah, and so it is kind of it does seem like kind of a wasted opportunity, and uh, at the very least to give like you know these these uh, you know female comic actors the opportunity to show the audience that like yeah we can. We can, we can talk with these guys. We can ad lib with them. We can improvise with them just as well as anybody else. Yeah, it's perfectly fine to have us in this. Like they could get, a, could have gotten like eh, maybe like a Melissa McCarthy or a, a Kristen Wiig in there or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And it's just, and it's just a shame that yeah, it's it's kind of a kind of a boys club. Yeah. In that in that group, it seems to be focused primarily on that. Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, it probably will be funny, um, if not hang together as a whole film. Yeah. Danny McBride on the panel talked about, talked about it, even, even Danny McBride, like, being nervous about being around all these great improvisers. And I will say, to me, the funniest thing that we saw was a scene that was clearly mostly improvised between Jay Baruchel and Jonah Hill, <laughs> um, which I, I, I've spoiled a bunch of stuff about, but all stuff that seems to happen very early in the movie. I won't spoil the particulars of this yeah, scene, but it, it made me laugh more than anything else that we yeah. saw. Um, so that's it. That's WonderCon Saturday. Now tomorrow, I'm seeing something and you're seeing something, but I don't think we're going to be able to get together to do another one of these so yeah, I, I, I might so. do one of my own about the much ado about nothing okay panel. sure sure um so hopefully i'll talk to you guys tomorrow do you now do you want to tell the because you enjoy it and now i kind of enjoy it as well the story of us uh, sitting in line because it's those aren't the only things we did <laughs> yeah we uh, did some tv stuff too we, yeah we didn't uh, i mean I'll, I'll probably do a bonus uh, previously on sometime this weekend and talk about the two TV things but we saw the first two episodes of uh, NBC's Hannibal which is um, created and executive produced by Brian Fuller and was uh, I think very good I'm very excited about this series yeah now. It's solid but we were sitting in line for a while and some guy I guess doing a little bit he had a camera and a microphone yeah and he and uh, the bit was that he was asking people if they were in the line to see Hannibal by mistake like I guess presupposing that it's terrible yeah and judging people for being 
being being in it and so he was being mean to people he was like uh, did you think you were in the line for the bathroom just saying mean stuff yeah and then he got to to Tyler <laughs> he talked to a couple people before he got yeah, to me so you probably already had your hackles up um, I, I was a little pissed off I didn't know what I was going to say yeah, well, and I'm I, was glad just gonna, I was planning on just kind of stonewalling him. Yeah, but you, um, <laughs> so you, I think he asked you, like, are you in this line on purpose? And you said, yeah, and he said, um. Well, he asked, he's like, uh, like, seriously, Hannibal, and I said, well, you know, it's, I'm not doing anything else, and so I figure I'd give this well, a try. If it that, winds up being bad, so be it. And that's what he asked you is, you really have nothing else better to do. And what Tyler said, well, what did you say what you said? I don't totally recall what Okay, said. what Tyler said was, well, the idea of being able to sit here in silence sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> and the guy, uh, I, I, I pictured him, I didn't look at him in the face because I was too annoyed by him, but I imagine he was crestfallen. And that he and I know that he walked away, and he it was did, pretty awesome. He walked away pretty much immediately, <laughs> and that doesn't strike me as a particularly harsh burn or anything. Uh, no, it was but just, it, it was a saying, shutdown, is what it was. It was that, yes. Yeah. And uh, and he didn't see. He just you know he kind of made like a little a little chuckle and stuff, and uh, and and walked. But he walked very deliberately away. Yeah. And it was like one of I'm gonna say. I think I myself am really only going to get like three moments of triumph in my life. <laughs> One of them, you may have heard about it, was winning Best Actor State of Missouri Year 2000. I think number two is this one. <laughs> All right. So I've got I've only got one left. All right. So, but um, yeah, you you found like me, I, like I was just like immediately I'm like ah, maybe I was a little too hard on the guy. He's just trying to have fun. But and then you were just laughing. Uh-huh. But like. But as time went on, I was just like, you know what? Fuck that guy. Yeah. Because I've totally bought into your opinion about these things. The positivity, the, hey, you're into that? Who? Great. Yeah. I'm not, but who cares? Yeah. Like, it's like, we're all just here. There are no nerds here. There are no geeks here because we're all these things yeah. in some way. And then he has the audacity to come and lecture us about Hannibal. And by the way, it could have been terrible. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I don't know if he had seen it or not. I don't know how he could have. But like... Come on, man. And he, and he had, like, a camera and a microphone shoved into people's faces and basically saying, hey, you're wrong for doing this thing. And it's yeah. just, it, it, it ran counter to everything that I've come to accept about these things. Yes. So, so. in conclusion, we had a great time at Comic-Con and fuck that guy. WonderCon. <laughs> WonderCon. Easy. It's run by San Diego Comic-Con. That's true. It has the logos for San Diego Comic-Con everywhere. Don't let you forget. Yeah, and I didn't want I don't want to undercut your last point, which is fuck that guy. Fuck that uh, guy. Yes, at, at, all day long. Okay, so, again... Um, thank you for listening. Fuck that guy. And we'll get you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.